Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Welcome back to Alex Garrett Podcasting. And uh, today, we're getting a little political. We're getting into the election cycle here with Dr. Hugh McTavish. Hugh, of course, is um, well, Dr. McTavish is running as an independent in the gubernatorial race in Minnesota. Hugh, nice to meet you. Thanks for joining. Uh, thank you for having me, Alex. So, first of all, as an independent, this is a very, uh, a bit of a battle here. So how will you stand out from the Republican and the Democratic uh, nominees? Uh, I'm standing out principally with my proposal for jury democracy, which <sighs> I think is, is um, uh, a great idea and, and brings the power back to the people. So the idea is um, that we would have, excuse me, we would call a jury a randomly selected sample of the of red, all registered voters in the state uh, of at least 500 people, 500 to 1,000 or 1,000 people probably, to the state capitol. They would sit on one particular bill or proposal. So they would sit for a day or two in most cases probably, uh, hear the arguments from both sides or all sides on a particular bill for or against that particular bill. And, um, and then have a chance to read the bill, which would put them ahead of legislators oftentimes who don't have time to read every bill that's, that they're considering. <clears throat> and then deliberate, break into smaller groups of 12, deliberate with the other 11 people in your group, uh, explain to them how from your background, your life experiences, this would, uh, would have affected you and why you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, uh, and then vote on it. Uh, by and I would have a 55% majority required to pass something that's a change to the status quo to pass a new law. So in other uh, words, you would put this um, any legislation to the power of the people is what it sounds like. Exactly. It is government of the people, by the people, and for the people, as Abraham Lincoln said. Um, instead of what we currently have, which I think is government of the elites and the corporations, by the elites and the corporations, and for the elites and the corporations. I honestly want to have you on because Minnesota has been rocked with the George Floyd death and all the protests and even the lack of, you know, leadership, if you will, of the mayoral and the Minnesota governor. Has the last couple of years inspired you to jump in this race? Yes, mostly by the uh, mostly by the lockdowns. So I'm I'm very opposed to the lockdowns. I think I can. I, I wrote a book, COVID Lockdown Insanity. I go through the data and I think I can prove, I think I did prove in that book that the lockdown response to COVID was a mistake. We absolutely would have been better off with no mandatory restrictions at all. Um, wouldn't have made a significant difference in COVID deaths, but would have, we would have had fewer suicides and drug overdose deaths and so on and, and um, all the other harms we had from the lockdowns. So I was motivated by that principally. I'm also motivated by the George Floyd killing and um, the conflicts we have over over police here, and um, my my proposal for it, we've got a state law, I don't know if other states are like this, but in Minnesota, we have a law that, <laughs> that um, police officers and all public employees cannot be fired or disciplined without it going to arbitration. And so the arbitrators, whenever the police chief or anybody tries to fire or discipline an officer, it goes to arbitration, and the arbitrators routinely overturn almost all discipline. You basically have to have murdered somebody to get fired as a cop. Um, 
So I would over, I would repeal that law and replace it with a law that says the police chief, as well as I think the mayor and the city council, each independently can fire any cop they want for any reason. It basically, turn turn police officers into at will employees like the rest of us. So you're um, also in favor of them being um, almost like a lawyer, you know, a malpractice suit for you know, in that sense, a doctor like they should be subject to even being sued if that if something goes wrong. Well, yeah, um, I think we have to think about that a little bit. Yes, they should have to. I'm in favor of the idea of carrying, having them, have it required them to carry insurance. Um, if they had to, if they had to not carry insurance and be personally liable for um, for bad acts, that would probably probably most people could not be cops uh, under that circumstance too big of a risk well i want to um, i, I want to stay on this for one second because minneapolis city council wanted to totally get rid of the police department and i thought that was wrong too i think there's got to be a balance there no yeah that was that was missold they didn't well there was um uh the, the idea of abolishing the police, I, I don't think they really meant that, or it, it was it's unclear. Some people really meant that. But the, there was a, a referendum on the ballot that um, was sold as, or the opponents of the referendum said it was uh, a proposal to abolish the police force, but it wasn't really. What it said was we've got a, um, the city charter of Minneapolis says it has to have X percent of the population has to be uh, police officers. I don't know, half a percent, whatever the, the number is. Um, you have to have that many police officers. Um, and that's defined as, I think, as people with guns. Um, the city council, the, refer the referendum would have simply essentially repealed that charter, that city charter. So that would have put it in the hands of the city council. It, to my mind, it really was a referendum, but um, whether the city council has the power to shrink the police force if they want and to control the police mm. force. Uh, but unfortunately, and I think, so I would have voted in favor of that. It lost, and I think it lost because it was badly sold. It wasn't explained that way. It was explained as um, uh, whether to abolish the police force. Whereas in my, I think it was really that just that the city council should have the power to have whatever size police force they deem necessary, and some of those some of those officers to be perhaps mental health professionals or to not carry guns, um, and uh, not not everybody is is uh, trained with a gun and uh, and arriving on a on the scene with a gun. And of course, they have all that, um, like the neck restraint was actually something in practice of that police department more than just the uh, George Floyd killing, which I was shocked about. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. I'm not certain about that. I thought the testimony of the George Floyd, Troyd, uh, George, George Floyd trial was that, um, or Derek Chauvin trial, I should say, uh, was that he was training officers to use that and that there was some training to use that, but that was contrary to official policy um use those, those I, it uh, might have been a rogue move in other words uh, okay so i feel like minnesota is actually a really big state to keep an eye on because of the last couple of years do you feel that as well do you feel like this gubernatorial race does have national impact 
Well, I think my jury democracy, I, I hope the, I hope my jury democracy idea spreads. My goal is to win this. And even if I don't win it, to, to spread it from Minnesota to every state in the country and, and every nation in the world, our federal government and every nation in the world. Um, I think it really is, really does bring power back to the people. It makes policy on reason and evidence instead of on money and influence. It allows everything to be considered. We can introduce, I would, I would give every state legislator um, the power, each the power to introduce one bill to the to the um, jury during a during a biennium during a two year period. So um, so ideas that are out of um, you know that are supposedly beyond the what can be discussed according to our press and media and the powers that be can get introduced. And I think a lot of those are going to be passed because a lot of them make a lot of sense. Well, this uh, is what I was going to say. You sound too sensible to be in politics, to be honest with you. So. Um, it's, it's always interesting to talk to people who are on the outside looking in, trying to break through because we all know being independent, it has its struggles, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I thought about, um, I've, I'm basically a liberal, although I'm, uh, non-doctrinaire on a lot of things. The COVID lockdown response is one. I think the Democrats just completely lost their minds on that one. Um, so I thought about running for the Democratic primary, uh, but I'd be running against an incumbent and the primary voters and the, the convention people that endorse are more far left and, and uh, true believers in the lockdown response. So I'd have, I'd have lost, lost that. Um, and so I think I've got a better chance of winning running as, running as an independent. Now, you obviously heard that uh, or even seen that people are tired, I guess, of of the current governor, was that an inspiration also? Because I know that you called out uh, Governor Walt about the lockdowns itself. So his actions alone, you probably were inspired to jump in this. Oh yeah, I think he's been a bad governor. He's been, he's, um, you know, to be honest, I would say uh, he's the worst governor in Minnesota history. Uh, the the point of government, I would I would make the primary point of my government happiness. And that's that's our primary goal in life. It's not to live as long as possible. It's not to make more money. We'd like to live longer. We'd um, um, and certainly we'd like to live to you know seventy or eighty at least. But um, and we'd like to make a little more money. But the real goal is to be happy. And the depression rate in Minnesota and nationally, because of the lockdowns, went from eight percent pre-lockdown, which is pretty terrible, pretty bad in itself, to twenty-seven percent. So Tim Walls decided to throw one in five Minnesotans into major clinical depression. What could possibly be worth that? He decided to do that in the hopes it would reduce COVID deaths. Even if it had reduced COVID deaths, it wouldn't be worth that. It would, it, if we'd saved 200,000, prevented 200,000 COVID deaths nationally by the lockdowns, which we did not, but if we had, we threw 350 people into major depression for every one COVID death we prevented. I, I don't think that's worth it. No, it's not. And and I love that you did the research on this. And I mean, let me get, get your thoughts on the vaccine then, because why is there still so much panic if the vaccinations are supposed to work? I mean, maybe we're all for it, but I feel like it was also pushed on us fairly hard. The, I'm opposed to vaccine mandates. The original vaccines worked to reduce deaths and serious illness. I, I'm convinced from the data. They did not do a lot to reduce cases uh, or infection, but they turned the they made the infection milder, which is the same way the flu vaccine works, basically. Um, 
So, uh, so I was vaccinated. Um, I, I support the vaccines. I think we actually probably, we could have had them a couple of months before we did. Uh, but the government is, in my, my view, too strict in, in um, testing and approving vaccines um, and drugs in general. Uh, so, uh, so I'm pro pro vaccine. I'm anti mandate. It does nothing to reduce spread um, because it, because in fact, because people are um, more likely they're they're less sick. They're actually more likely to continue to go out in public. And I'm convinced vaccinated people are more likely to spread the disease to others than unvaccinated people. So the whole premise of get vaccinated to protect others, not just yourself. Uh, I think the opposite is the truth. By by being vaccinated, you're actually increasing the risk to others. I don't think that's a reason not to get vaccinated, but but we should stop screaming at the people who don't want to get vaccinated. They're, they they got every right to. I think they've got every right to control their bodies. Sure. Um, and um, and then with the mutations to the Omicron, the original de- vaccine was designed against one particular protein, the spike protein on the virus. That protein, there's, I think, 35 mutations or something in Omicron. Uh, So the virus evolved to avoid uh, the immunity produced by the vaccines. So I think at this point, I saw data from a British paper that I analyzed. They didn't make this conclusion because this would be politically incorrect. But their data in their paper showed that the vaccines reduced infections by 15%. Uh, against Omicron, whereas they reduced infections by 66% against um, uh, the original strains. Now, you're uh, able to tell us all this because you are a doctor. Tell us a little bit of your background and the doctorate uh, and what field of medicine and chemistry you're in, just so people know that, hey, I'm in this field and I have this information because I work right in it. Yeah, I, I've got a PhD in biochemistry. Um, my latest papers have been in immunology. I invented, um, I, I, out of my experience as a cancer patient, I invented a targeted cancer drug and started a company around that called IGF Oncology. And then I invented a drug that prevents, boosts the immune response basically in order and thereby pre- prevents cold sore outbreaks uh, or oral herpes outbreaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that, that's, um, that part is where the, the immunology comes in is with the cold sore company called Squarex. Um, it's the, 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 my, my biological background is not so, I mean, it helps me to, to realize and to, to predict that the, the, the virus is going to evolve to avoid prior immunity from infection and to avoid the vaccine and, and to get less deadly, but more contagious. That's, that's the evolutionary incentive of the virus. So, um, and the CDC and, and our authorities don't seem to want to admit that the virus would evolve to get less deadly and that it is less deadly now. Um, and I know you so, called out Fauci a lot in your campaign platform also. Tell us why. What, is he not the GQ model that everybody thinks he is? I mean, come on now. <laughs> oh, I, I just get sick of Fauci. Uh, he made a state. He made a statement. When people criticize me, they're really criticizing science. Oh my God! Science is not about the personality. Science is about your data. So people have every right to criticize him on the data. That's what I do. And the leaked uh, emails about how he said the masks don't work. So 
There's that too. Oh, did he? I didn't even see that. But no, the, the C- yeah, the, the, the government, the Surgeon General at the beginning of this tweeted out, seriously, people, um, uh, stop buying masks. And then, you know, a week or two later, the reverse course and, say, and have been saying since then, the masks wearing is the best thing you can do to prevent COVID, which is nonsense. The data, I looked at the data, the, the best da- data on masks is a clinical trial in Denmark where they had 2,000 people wearing masks and 2,000 people not wearing masks. The mask wearers were very, very motivated, very good, like all clinical trial participants are. They changed their masks once a di- more than once a day. They were using surgical masks, which are good, better, better than uh, better than cloth masks that a lot of people are wearing. And still, there was no significant difference in infection rate between the two groups. Well, and so, one other thing, I, I hope you're looking into where the data went for the origins of COVID, because you know the NIH kind of scraped that from the Wuhan lab investigation did you hear about that i i have kind of deliberately not sought out how this originated because i'm afraid i would find that i um uh, that that i believe it was engineered and and if i i found that and believed that then i would have to say it because i'm an honest person (laughs) and it's uh, probably better not to know that if that's the case. But it's certainly, um, it's a heck of a, if this originated from nature, it's a heck of a coincidence that it started in the neighborhood of a um, uh, of a, a laboratory that was doing gain-of-function testing on coronaviruses. All right. By the way, I'm talking with Dr. Hugh McTavish. And uh, a little note here, I've started to research who's listening to the show where, and Minneapolis has listened to us about 17 plays or so i mean maybe it's not that much but hey uh you're being heard in minneapolis right now as well so thank you for joining me uh to talk about your campaign i want to go back to the jury democracy because um it's such a a common sense thing that if the gubernatorial race didn't happen could you go into city council and help make this a ballot proposal is that a possibility The, I would I ultimately want to amend the state constitution and then ultimately amend the U.S. constitution to implement this in the United States. Um, uh, for the, our state constitution, Minnesota requires um, requires that it be passed by the legislature. Um, so since this, in a sense, takes power away from the legislature, that's that's going to be difficult, but I think we can get it done. Um, there are states where you can amend your constitution by referendum. Uh, one I know of where I think it might be a really great place to start is Vermont. You can, it's a small state. They've got the tradition of, um, of New England town hall meetings there. Uh, so you could run the referendum campaign for not a ton of money and amend the state constitution to add the jury as an additional house of the legislature or replace one house's house of the legislature. So I've thought about it mostly at state and federal levels. It would also work for cities. Um, the number of jurors you need for a 5% margin of error or less doesn't actually decrease that much. It, it actually is, is uh, to be precise, it's 385 if the population is a million or more. If the population of your group is 100,000, that drops to 384 or something. And to, to, uh, 10,000, it's 270 or something. So it doesn't drop that fast with population. Um, it probably only makes sense with medium to large size cities or well, with states or nations. You're very numbers heavy. So I guess I want to I hone in on this a little bit. So 
for the voter listening to this, right? Um, how can a jury democracy help them in the end? Why should they support it? It's going to be government by them. Uh, it's by all of us. It, it ends. It's not government. Currently, we have government that's us versus them. We're, we're, we're so divided. We divide into, into groups and try to impose our will on other groups. This is just us, all of us, collectively getting together, talking about an issue and, and, and deciding it. Uh, Amanda, uh, do you, th- do you feel that America is less divided than the media tells us? Because I feel like you're showing us that we can talk to each other, actually. I think Americans agree more than the media tells us. We're certainly, we probably are a little less divided than the media tells us because we mostly hear the voices on Twitter and social media that are screaming their positions one way or another. And those are the extremists. The people in the middle are the people who don't feel that strongly about things. They're just turned off by that. So they don't participate in that. So it's a disproportionate view in that way. All right, I got to get to this. I'm sorry if I can say on each on each issue, most of it, most issues aren't really that partisan. uh, I'm, I'm a patent lawyer. If you produced, if you introduced a proposition on relating to patent law, most people haven't given it much thought. They don't, it's not a Republican versus Democratic issue. So they'd sit down in a nonpartisan way. And most issues are like that. And even, even like the most contentious issue of abortion, there's only 19% of the population that thinks abortion should be basically illegal in all circumstances. So we could, a jury would pass something pretty close to codifying Roe versus Wade, that at least for the first three months, it's the choice of a woman. And then if you had to get any change through a jury thereafter, you know, good luck. It's never going to happen. You're never going to get a majority to outlaw it. Uh, so then we can just, we can stop screaming at each other about it and we can move on. I think this is inspiring because we all know the Senate. I mean, to me, Joe Manchin has been a bit of a hero stopping some bills from getting through. But overall, the Senate's not doing anything for us right now. We've got a Minority leader in Kiev, which, you know, you can't really knock, but McConnell's not really here. Um, Schumer's a bit older than I think people want the Senate to be. So I feel like this kind of thing, when you see bill after bill being knocked down, that inspires people to actually just talk about legislation before putting it in the hands of the senators. Yeah, I think uh, as governor, if, if I get elected governor, um in addition to using the jury after something passes the elected legislature, I would introduce bills to the jury, originate them in the jury. And then if they pass, I would uh, I would demand that the legislature hold a recorded vote on it. I'd say, you know, you're free as the legislators. You're free to vote against this. That's fine. But have the guts to stand up and take a position. The people of Minnesota have specifically said they want this bill after full information and consideration and discussion. They want this bill passed into law. The least you can do is vote on it and not just table it and ignore it. Or hit the big abstain button, right? Or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I got to get to this one because I don't I don't know your politi- your economic plan, but you don't like GDP or, or going by GDP. So if, if it's happiness per capita, how does that make us money? I You know, and make us – it's just a natural question I have to ask. Yeah, well – I think the, basically my, my economic view would be that we don't need uh, – the economy does works pretty fine on, pretty well on its own. We don't need to intervene that much, uh, um, and I don't think politicians in general have a lot of effect on the economy. Uh, 
So, um, but more importantly, our goal in life is not to make more money. Our goal in life as, as individuals is to be happy, uh, our primary goal. And that should be the primary goal of government. And I don't think that is the primary goal of government. I think the primary goal of government, the primary goal of our system, the economic system kind of rules us. It's, it's beyond our control. Um, the corporations rule us. Corporations have more power than people, even though they're not people. Um, uh, and I think the goal of the system is to grow, is to grow the economy, uh, which includes, for instance, then immigration uh, is, uh, I think, I think overpopulation is our big problem, and our overpopulation is break, is driven mostly by immigration. Mm. But for the corporations and the, the, the stock market, the pie has to always grow. So they don't care. They don't really care. The system doesn't really care about per capita well economic well being. They just care that the economy get bigger uh, by more customers, more people. Because if it gets bigger, then the stock market goes up. If it gets smaller. Uh, so America would probably go down, actually. Well, as you're talking about the corporations, would you then, as governor, protect the unionization attempts by warehouses, you know, say Amazon or Starbucks in your state? Because, you know, that's becoming a national thing now where these different warehouses are voting on unionization. Would you protect them from, say, uh, Amazon, you know, uh, not yeah, influence, I'm, but... I'm, I'm pro-union. I'm pro, I'm pro I, I would um, protect them against protect workers against retaliation. That's what I meant to say, yeah. Forming, forming a union and um, protect the right to form a union um, yeah, without intervention or retaliation by the company. And it's so funny because Bezos tweeted about this the other day. He said, well, you know, the White House is upset at the way I'm talking and, you know, unionization and all this don't lead to inflation. And I'm like, sir, you just, you want to stop at unionization. So stop trying to be friends with them, you know? Um, yeah. But on the inflation front, People aren't really that happy about it. So what could your role be to curb it for at least Minnesotans? Um, I don't think the governor has a lot of power to curb inflation. Uh, we can look at, um, I, to, I mean, to be honest, I guess I haven't given it, given it a great deal of thought. I think inflation, though, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure we really are experiencing inflation per se. I think we're experiencing shortages uh, and therefore the prices, price goes up, not just a, like a general increase in the money supply that drives up prices. Um, so I think inflation is a, is a bit overstated. It's more food shortages and lumber shortages and so on that, that cause the price of those things to go up. Um, so we, um, anyway, I think we, we need, we should look at ways to, um, ameliorate those shortages make and ensure that we've got um <clears throat> that we that we can reduce the price of food and, and the price of, of lumber and, and so on you know i know you mentioned earlier you're a liberal but i'm sensing you have also a small government kind of mindset as well is that a good interpretation of that i feel like you want states to have the rights to choose what they can do and make changes like the jury democracy and whatnot yeah absolutely you know i think i i agree that in general, the government that governs, you'd prefer a, the, the saying the government governs least governs best is a little too extreme, but um, less government is preferable unless there's a reason for more government. And I'm a libertarian, um, not in the extreme sense, but in the sense that 
if you're going to restrict people's in general, you should let people do whatever they want in their life to restrict their activity and what they can do. You should have a pretty good reason. It doesn't, doesn't have to be a life and death reason, but it should be a pretty good reason that they're, that they're otherwise they're genuinely harming other people and the planet if they, um, if they behave a certain way. Right. And I know that you want to protect the environment. That's another big plan of yours. So uh, tell us a little about that one. What's your campaign platform on protecting our environment? Um, we've got uh, a couple of issues are in Minnesota. We've got the Line 3 pipeline uh, bringing um, uh, oil tar sands from Alberta uh, to Minnesota and the Midwest and the U.S. Um, it goes across Native American land, tribal, tribal lands, and the governor has broken his word to tribes about opposing that pipeline. So I would oppose, oppose those pipelines, uh, both on the grounds of keeping our word to Native Americans and allowing them to control their, their reservations, and, and on the grounds of uh, reducing, um, uh, reducing global warming and uh, reducing consumption of Canadian tar sand oil. Uh, we've also got mines in northern Minnesota, copper nickel mines, sul sulfide mining that would leach um, tox mercury and other toxic metals from the ground, um, and potentially <clears throat> that actually, in, in reality, I think almost certainly that that those metals will eventually leak into Lake Superior and into the Boundary Waters. Uh, so I oppose those those mines. Um, uh, but let's talk about that for a second, because obviously miners are sort of a generational job, right? So people go in because their grandfather was there or their father was there, and then, and I had this issue with the coal mine situation where they want to get rid of it. I'm like, well, you're telling a whole bunch of people that you can't work there anymore and to do technology. I, I don't know. I feel like people in the mines are sort of, they, they love it because it's a generational thing. And, and maybe you want to change that mindset. I'm not sure. But if you don't want the mines, where would you want those workers to go? I guess is my question. Well, those jobs don't exist now, so I'm fine with the the taconite mining. We've got a we've got a big taconite mining, which is iron ore mining industry in Minnesota. That's that's um, that's fine, and I and I encourage that. Um, so we're not talking about taking away anybody's mines. The the new mines wouldn't really produce that many many new jobs. They would only last uh, 30, 40 years. I think we're better off having those jobs in the tourism industry. Uh, with um, people visiting the Boundary Waters and other beautiful places in northern Minnesota, um, so that's um, that. That's basically. But I, I don't. I don't. Uh, when we're faced with a choice between a few dozen jobs for uh, for a couple of decades versus a choice of saving the planet, it's not a difficult choice for me. I'm going to save the planet. All right. Are these primaries that we saw Tuesday? Are these primaries? Overall, the way that these outsiders are sort of winning, like a Dr. Oz, I have to say, you know, he's he's in the lead, I think, or maybe even about to win Senate race in, in uh, a Senate primary in Pennsylvania. But do those kind of things, and even Buffalo Mayor uh, Byron Brown was written in to win re-election. He wasn't even on the ballot, but they wrote him in. So there are different things that are going on that show that people aren't just caring who's on the ballot. They're, they're researching it and even writing in. So... As an independent, do those stories give you hope that, yes, an outsider could do, make a change in your home state of Minnesota? Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope so. I've, uh, I, I think so. I think people are fed up. Um, you know, people have counseled me well so that I'm wasting my time. Uh, Jesse Ventura won because he was a wrestler, because he was famous before he ran. 
but I think Jesse Ventura won and Donald Trump won in large part because they were they came across as genuine. They answered the questions they were asked and said, I don't know when they didn't know. They didn't it wasn't so much canned sound bites um, and uh, kind of told the truth. And so I um, I aim to do the do the same. Tell us about your endorsement of the Independent Alliance Party because it all stems back to that independent streak. So how supportive have they been? How have they been able to help your campaign um, against the, the two big parties? Uh, they've been great. Uh, I I actually approached um, the Libertarian Party and the Green Party uh, about getting the nomination in Minnesota also. And they both basically offered the nomination to me. Uh, I chose to go with the Independence Party because it's um, basically a more professional organization and a better organized party in this in this state. Um, and also, you know, Independence is in the name. It's it's got the perception of being independent. And I want the perception of being an independent power broker, especially with the jury democracy, mm. and not taking not really taking um, uh, the the not not being biased for one side or the other. I know you're trying to keep politics and money out of politics, but let's say as this campaign gets going, you start getting other endorsements. I mean, how will you keep money out of politics? That sounds like one of your goals, actually. I would like to keep money out of politics. Um, uh, yes, unfortunately, I'm going to have to raise money in this campaign, and it's not something I like doing is calling people up for dollars. But um, uh I would probably, uh, well, for one thing, if we do jury democracy, it, to a large extent, it makes who gets elected rather irrelevant. If you really have to get everything through the jury anyway, um, it, it makes the elections uh, much less relevant than they are now because the winners don't just get to impose their will on the losers, on everybody else. Um, but... I do. We do need to to amend to uh, change campaign finance financing. I would I would make it that the campaign that the government um, matches heavily, like five may, at least one to one, but I'd say maybe five to one every donation up to uh, up to a hundred dollars. Um, uh, so. So you're you just need to to get a decent number of donors to put in twenty fifty hundred dollars to your campaign. It's not so important to find people to put in four thousand dollars. If the FEC did that, do you know how big a deal that would be? Because that would mean anybody would have a shot, which is what we want, right? Yes, yes, I think it'd be a big deal. But we don't want to we don't want to just say anybody anybody nominate. It wouldn't be feasible to say you put your your name on the ballot. Here's a million dollars for your campaign. Uh, it, so we have to have some mechanism to gauge popularity before you get the matching money. So it seems to me the way would be to match the number of donations you're getting with a certain dollar amount, basically. Dr. McTavish, where can people find you? Twitter, Instagram, even website. Tell us you know, where people can find you and then, you know, support you as well. Uh, my website is mctavish4mn.org, uh, where the four is the number four. Uh, and my uh, Twitter handle is at McTavish for MN, and my uh, TikTok handle is at Hugh McTavish. Um, the other platforms, I think, are all at McTavish for MN. All right, well, Dr. McTavish, thank you so much, and I, of course, look forward to having you back on as a campaign 
Pete's up. Uh, let us know how you're doing. Great. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm Alex Garrett. Uh, we're going to be involved with this, and, and thank you out there for listening wherever you might be, and we'll talk to you real soon.